for listening to WP Radio. I'm your host, Terry Doherty, and this is an OIAA podcast. On today's episode, we have Bruce Cook, action sports star, and he gives his keynote presentation on his life and his career in freestyle motocross. This presentation was recorded at the 2019 Provincial Claims Conference in Ottawa. Bruce was an absolute pleasure to have on the conference, and we hope you enjoy his presentation. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to Bruce Cook. Very famous action sports hero. How's everyone doing? Oh. Um, so, yeah, that was in, in Hamilton 2014, and I'm here today just to kind of tell you my side of the story up until that point and how it's been like since that. So, um, I was born in uh, Kelowna, BC in, um, on June 17th, 1987. My parents thought that they were having a little girl, and <laughs> out I came. <laughs> Um, from a young age, um, or before I was two, my parents got me a, my very first little plastic tricycle that I called my Moco, and uh, I loved that thing. I made the motorcycle noises, rode it around the house, down the sidewalk, down the street, and uh, even to the mall. That's actually the, the only way that my mom could get me to go to the mall. So <laughs> um, when I was four or five years old, my, or five or six years old, my uncle bought a little 50cc dirt bike, and uh, they were coming over for Christmas. And, he thought it would be a good idea to bring that thing along. So um, that's the first time that I got on a motorcycle and I was hooked. So by the end of the day when they were ready to leave, he thought it would be a good idea to leave that motorcycle behind. And uh, I couldn't agree more really. Um, at first it was just a little bike to have uh, around the acreage and kind of, you know, they had 60 acres. So, uh, but it didn't take me long being a little boy to obviously start hitting little bumps. Little bumps become bigger bumps, which turn into jumps. And that basically started my passion for progression. Uh, from an early age, I was doing um, crazy things, and uh, we were always trying to go higher and faster than, than each other. And um, we crashed a lot, but it never made me want to quit. It was always, how fast can I get back up? How fast can I get back on the bike? Um, from a young age, I had a uh, pretty good work ethic that came from my dad and my grandpa. It was always, um, you know, if you just get up, get at it, and uh, you don't stop until the job's done. You don't whine, you don't complain. You just figure it out, and uh, you do whatever it takes to get the job done. So, um, you know, with hearing that over and over, and, you know, the just don't say can't attitude, it kind of stuck with me, and it was more than just a phrase or, or a few words. Uh, it was more of a, a lifestyle to, to never say can't. Um, it was pretty clear after the little 50 that my passion for dirt bikes wasn't going to go away. When I outgrew it, I kept uh, getting a couple dirt bikes and obviously bigger jumps and starting to take my, to my legs off. Um, it was grade seven when we were supposed to do a project and the teacher asked us to outline um, basically a career, what we wanted to do. So of course, um, everybody's going around the room, everyone's naming off careers. Um, of course, it was the, the doctors, lawyers, um, you know, vets, firefighters, and he got to me. And I told him I wanted to ride my dirt bike for a living. And he said, well, he kind of laughed and scoffed at that and, and said that, you know, you can't do that. And I said, I can do that and I'm going to do that. Uh, he, you can probably guess the kind of student I was and probably didn't like me very much, but um, he explained, you know, how many people, um, Bruce, how many people um, play hockey and, you know, want to make it to the NHL but are never going to? First of all, I couldn't believe his kind of attitude toward a student, but I said, 
I don't play hockey, I ride dirt bikes, and if I wanted to make it to the NHL, then I would. And so basically, I was going to do this for my project, like it or not. He said, you know, if you're gonna stick, stick with this, then I'm gonna have to call, me, call your parents. I gladly offered up my phone number and said, sure, give them a call. So he called them, and they basically, uh, they told him that, you know, who are they to uh, basically crap on my, on my dreams and that I could basically do what I wanted. So that definitely made me walk a little higher going into class the next day. <laughs> um, Chris Garwaziek was uh, a few years ahead of me in, uh, in school, and he was actually in one of my sister's grades, and um, he was, uh, they always told, him, told my sister's stories about traveling around the world, doing these shows and, and competitions, and hitting these big jumps, so naturally I looked up to him. And uh, he lived in a subdivision a few kilometers down the road from my parents' place, and he was looking for a place to set up a practice jump. Now with freestyle motocross, practice jumps are a little more than just uh, a couple bricks and pallets on the street. You need a lot of space. It's 20 dump truck loads of dirt and massive steel ramps. So I ran it by my parents. They gave me the go-ahead. I said, sure, if you're willing to bring the dirt up, then uh, you know, go ahead. So when 20 dump trucks started rolling into their property with a couple trailers and some steel ramps. It became clear that they didn't quite understand the scale or how serious it was. And it was also around that time that they definitely started regretting their decision. <laughs> One of the deals was that uh, when Chris would go away for shows, um, the setup would be there and I was not to touch it. It's at exactly 75 feet and uh, he didn't want me, you know, playing around it, moving anything. So when he left for a few days to, to go out to, to Alberta, I grabbed the tractor and pushed the ramp in as fast as I could to uh, be able to go off it myself. <laughs> um, the first day I had it up to um, about 30 or 40 feet. And that thing was a blast, get, having my first times off the ramp, playing around on it, and my goal was to kind of get it back, I, I pushed it back and back to about 55 feet so that by the time he got back, I could just be hitting it rather than telling him what I'd done so I could prove that I could do it. He was a little mad, but uh, at the same time, he, uh, he saw that I was passionate about it, helped me get it back to the 75 feet that, that uh, is the normal for freestyle motocross, and by the end of the day, was hitting the 75 feet and doing sketchy little tricks. I obviously impressed him, because uh, after that he started hiring me to do shows for the next seven or eight years all across Canada. I rode and progressed as much as I could with uh, obviously quite a few setbacks. There was uh, multiple broken wrists, broken ankles, but um, which, well, which really uh, made me miss shows and miss the work, so uh, money was definitely tight at that time. Um, my bosses were good. Uh, with allowing me to take off for these shows because they'd be where you had to leave on Friday and sometimes not get back till Monday. But when it came time to start taking a week or two off, um, obviously it wasn't fair to, to the, the company to, to be taking that much time off and they weren't very happy with that. So around that time, I started my own business doing landscaping and tree removal and that sort of thing so that I could do, schedule a job for you know, one or two days of the week and then be away for the weekend or sometimes you know, one or two weeks at a time. Obviously didn't like working all that much, I'd rather be riding my dirt bike. <laughs> in 2009, an opportunity came up to go down to Mexico to do a tour, and uh, that was the first time I met my now good friend, Billy Van Butte, which is, who's from uh, London, Ontario. So the promoter wanted a couple guys from the East Coast, a couple guys from the West Coast, 
we'd all go down and meet in Mexico and do this tour for six weeks. So I was excited to meet Billy. I'd heard a lot of good things from, uh, from Chris, who'd done shows with him, toured before. And also, he was brother to Nitro Circus star Jolene Van Viet, which if you don't know her, she comes from a professional motocross background, is the first female to backflip and frontflip a motorcycle, and was really good, is really good friends with Travis Pastrana. If you don't know who Travis Pastrana is, then it's definitely clear to me that you don't know much about the action sports industry, but he's uh, arguably one of the most talented action sports athletes in the world to this day. And uh, most important to me, he owned a foam pit, which he was one of the very few people in the world that owned a foam pit at that time. I, uh, my first trip to Travis's place was really last minute. I saw that Billy was going down uh, from London. He posted on Facebook, so I called him up and said, hey, is there any chance I can come down there? Um, and he said, yeah, he, uh, he ran it by Jolene Travis. They said, sure, if you can get yourself down here, then go for it. So I basically booked that flight at uh, four o'clock in the afternoon. 12 hours later, I was driving myself down to Seattle to, uh, with my gear, hopping on the cheapest flight I could find over to Baltimore where Travis lives. And um, that was my first time basically getting into a foam pit and, and uh, progressing as I wanted to learn the backflip. So uh, my first time into the pit was amazing. Um, it, it, the backflip made sense to me in my head, so it was pretty quick, you know, a few times into the pit, uh, two days in a row, did a few more, and then the big step of taking it to dirt, which my first one went perfectly. So after that, I was, you know, on cloud nine, headed back home to where I had to take another big step of now doing it on my own dirt bike. Um, I use Travis's dirt bike, he rides Suzuki, I ride Kawasaki, and it turns out they're very different. I, uh, I set the ramp up at my house to exactly 67 feet, I was all set, friends were there, family was there, and uh, took my first practice jump and landed somewhere around 100 feet, <laughs> which was far past the landing. Um, I went from such an extreme high to such an extreme low as I knew instantly that I'd broken my ankle and that I'd be out for another six weeks. So um, after that six weeks was up, uh, it was another tough decision. Um, on whether I was just going to get back on my bike, try that jump again at my place, or go back down to Travis's and do that whole process again, which really the budget made it an easy decision that I would just try it on my setup. And I pushed it back to the comfortable 75 feet, got used to my bike again, and ended up landing a perfect backflip um, back on my setup, which really was a big moment for me because obviously, as you can imagine, turning a dirt bike upside down 30 feet in the air comes with a bigger paycheck also. So at that point, I could now ride full time from spring to fall. Um, but at that point, um, I still couldn't basically afford to uh, you know, uh, live throughout the winter. So I, uh, I then, well, myself and a friend ended up um, managing a really big snow removal company in BC, which had a, a couple hundred uh, employees and um, subcontractors that we were in charge of. And so with that, I basically worked for a few years in a row, um, a couple years in a row, uh, 100 days straight. And many days, it was over 24 hours um, um, straight. So it was, it was a lot of work, and that was a lot of motivation for me to not do that anymore and be able to ride my dirt bike year round or at least be able to afford to uh, live throughout the winter. So I had to figure out what I was gonna do and for me there was something that was always in the back of my head which was X Games and X Games is basically the Olympics of action sports. So 
Um, that had always been a goal. I'd always been watching X Games from a really young age, and uh, I had a trick in the back of my mind that I thought would be enough to get me into the, the best trick category at X Games. Now that trick is called a rock solid, which is basically going off the jump, grabbing the back of the seat, legs out behind, letting go of the bike, grabbing back on, and trying your best to get back on the bike before you hit the ground. Now, I've been doing that for a few years, and I was confident that I could do that trick, except at the same time do a backflip, so a rock solid backflip. So, <laughs> but yeah, everyone else laughed, and uh, my family and friends thought I was crazy, but it's something that made sense in my head, so I knew I had to at least give it a shot. So from there, I went down to Travis's house, attempted the, the rock solid backflip into the foam pit, which was going well enough to submit a video to X Games to be accepted to the 2012 uh, X Games down in Los Angeles. So uh, fast forward to July uh, 2012, and I was on my way from Kelowna down to LA with my bike, and uh, I was excited for X Games, clearly. <laughs> I noticed that the landing was a few feet taller than what we've been practicing with at Travis's place, but overall looked amazing, and obviously I was extremely excited to be there. Um, the nerves were high that night, obviously, and, but I was just more excited to just get it over with. It had been something on my mind for a few months, and I couldn't wait to basically show the world what, uh, what I've been working on. So as it turns out, that few feet made a big difference as I slightly under-rotated and basically belly flopped on the ground, but I was able to run out of it. You're allowed two attempts, but as the adrenaline wore off, I realized that I had fractured my pelvis and broken a few ribs, one of which still pokes out. So it's a nice little reminder of being at X Games. So I was obviously disappointed with my performance, but at the same time, I had reached my goal of just being invited, and um, it had put me on the, on the map, basically, as freestyle motocross, and uh, gained me a lot of respect in the industry. After the standard six weeks, <laughs> I was back doing shows and uh, booking bigger shows now, uh, bigger tours down in, in Mexico, and uh, doing a lot of monster truck shows, monster jams, which, which travel all over the US, and to date is one of my biggest shows uh, down at the Georgia Dome in front of 73,000 people. So that was awesome. Um, I was the most confident I'd ever been. My riding was going amazing. I just finished up a tour down in Mexico, and I was set to be driving home. When I, uh, so I called a friend uh, to help drive me back home to Kelowna, She'd never been down to California, never done the drive up the coast, so I said, hey, you want to fly down and drive back with me? Um, that's when I woke up at 5 a.m. to an email from Travis Pastrana that said, um, we've got this ramp that makes front flips easy. <laughs> now that coming from Travis Pastrana, it could mean anything, but uh, he said, we've been doing front flips off this thing and we want someone to do a double front flip for this upcoming tour, uh, Nitro Circus tour next year. So I called my dad right away and basically we had a conversation, said if I don't at least try this thing, try this trick into the foam pit, then I'll kind of regret not taking that uh, opportunity. So with that, I picked my friend up at the airport and said, by the way, we're not heading north, we're now driving across the country to Baltimore, to Travis's place, and uh, since she didn't really have a choice and she was a, a big fan of Travis's, um, we were on our way. So a few days later we show up to Travis's, and 
I first put eyes on the uh, front flip ramp, which was the biggest ramp at the time that I'd ever seen, standing about 12 feet tall, and had this mechanism on top that made it possible to do front flips. So basically, your front tire hits a little wedge, which kicks up a 10-foot vertical edge that your back tire hits, flinging the bike into a forward motion. Yeah. That's my reaction when I saw it, too. I, I actually literally laughed out loud, and I, uh, I wasn't too sure. Yeah, so the first day on that, uh, I did my first front flip, which, like Travis said, it was actually pretty easy. But after that came a double front flip, which there is a massive gap between a single front flip and a double front flip. It's a lot more than double. There's a lot more speed, a lot more height, and a lot more commitment. So my first double front flip the next day, about at that point there, halfway through my, the rotations, you get a split second peripheral and basically my first thought was, wow, I am a lot higher than I've ever been. I've never seen the roof of his shop and basically I'm on top of these trees. It was, it was just a completely different feeling. Moments after that, like you saw, I landed straight upside down on my head with the bike over top of me, but I'd had the courage to at least go off of the stupid ramp. So there was a few, um, few days at Travis's place, uh, or many days at Travis's place of practicing the new trick. It was a lot. There was, uh, people think that foam pits are fun. Every time I'm down there, they, they think they're, they'd be a blast, but it's, it's a lot. They're hard on the bodies, and um, it, every impact into it is a massive hit. So for months, I was flying in and out, doing, um, doing shows, coming back and practicing. And uh, in that time, we, did, we made a couple changes to the ramp because rotation wasn't quite right. But one of the changes we made um, was quite a big one. And my first time hitting it, I went off it. I ejected straight up into the air. My bike landed nicely in the middle of the foam pit, safe and sound. I came down and landed on my side, basically right on the side of the, of the foam pit, and then flopped into the foam pit. And for the first few minutes, I was sure I'd broken my femur because the, uh, the pain was so intense. I took a couple weeks off, had to miss a couple shows, and uh, really honestly thought to myself, you know, is this worth it? And um, I thought I might actually pull the pin on this. But at the same time, I'd kind of see that as giving up and the trick getting the best of me, which is, I think it's become clear now is a tough pill for me to swallow. So uh, with that, we switched the, back, the ramp back to the original design and continued from there to uh, to just uh, practice away uh, on and off for the next few months. All right, with that, we were off to Toronto, um, and that was on New Year's Eve. So we rung in the New Year's in Toronto, and then finally had a couple days to kind of relax and take a break, um, because the last few months had been so intense. And um, finally, the day came uh, January 3rd, 2014, in Hamilton. That was the day of the show. Uh, I couldn't believe that the day was finally there. But uh, yeah, I was, I was nervous, the same as X Games. A lot of nerves, uh, there's a lot of lead up, but at the same time, I just wanted to get it done because it's something that's been on your mind every single day leading up to that. So um, I was set to go kind of towards the, the end of the show. Obviously, it was a big, big trick, and that was gonna kind of wrap up the show. Um, so I was uh, you know, watching the show, and, and in the back, I was getting geared up, throwing every single pad that I had, <laughs> that I owned on, and waiting for my cue from the announcer. As soon as I heard him starting to introduce me, I uh, went to start my bike, and 
keeping in mind that this is a brand new motorcycle with only a couple hours on it, uh, it, it was strange that it didn't start up the first or second time. And on the third or fourth kick on the, of the kickstart, the kickstart broke off completely right up against the motor. And that is something in my, at the time, 20 years of riding a motorbike has never happened to me. So if that doesn't get in your head at that moment, I don't know what would. But uh, from there, we were pushing the bike back and forth um, in the hallways of the arena, trying to start this thing and bump start it. But with the polished concrete floors, the thing wouldn't fire up. So the only option was to basically get a couple people to push me out onto the, the arena floor as they were introducing me, and hopefully the carpet would be enough traction to start the bike, which it did. And then on my mind, the only thing on my mind was basically do not stall this bike because you don't have any way to start it. So there was a lot, a lot uh, of energy in the arena. People were going crazy. Obviously all the other athletes were out there and it was a huge moment. I, I was taking several run-ups uh, at the ramp and just trying to picture, you know, that it was just a picture in my head that it's just another attempt into the foam pit, relax, and, uh, and we'd get it done. There's a lot of lights, a lot of pyro. I make my, my last turn at the ramp and, uh, and it was on. I basically um, waited for my mark to hit full throttle and uh, the same mark on the, on the ramp to throw myself forward. Flung myself forward, saw ramp, rafters, ramp, rafters, and then boom the impact that would forever change my life. That was obviously the scariest moment of my life. You know, I was, you could see me slapping my legs. Uh, I was basically just terrified. I knew instantly, I'd hit the ground enough times that I knew instantly it was bad. And, um, you know, I had a pretty good idea that I'd broken my back. You feel this hot liquid running down your spine and, you know, everything is crazy. But there was a split second when I was still sliding down the ramp, slapping my legs where I thought to myself, there's a slight moment of peace almost, where I thought to myself, um, you know, I'm slapping my legs, so my upper body's still fine, my arms are fine, and I was conscious the whole time, so my head was still good, or as good as it ever was, which isn't saying a whole lot, I'm sure most of you are thinking, but, um, you know, there's that, that slight moment of peace uh, where I was just thinking, wow, that could have been a lot worse. That injury obviously could have killed me, and I was still around at that point, so, as terrifying as it was, you know, I had that back in the back of my mind right from the right from the very start. After what felt like hours, I got loaded onto the stretcher, was being wheeled out of the arena, and it was at that point where I knew that I wanted to get back on a dirt bike and that I wasn't going to let that be my last show. There was no way my last show was going to be, you know, being wheeled out on a stretcher. It was a, a long um, wait for the ambulance, and then uh, I got loaded into the ambulance, and it was really icy at that point. Uh, lots of bumps in the road. If anyone's been to Hamilton, they know they're not the best roads to start with. So I remember going down the road uh, in the back of the ambulance and basically, you know, feeling all the bumps in my upper body and just wishing I could feel it in my legs and hoping that I would feel something. Yeah, we got to the hospital and it, it's a chaotic time. Um, there, there's a lot going on and, and honestly at that point I didn't know it, it could have still been life-threatening. Um, so obviously I know so little about uh, spinal cord injury at that time. So for the first uh, few hours, there was a lot of x-rays, MRIs, CT scans, and uh, got the results back, and my worst nightmares were confirmed. I'd almost completely severed my spinal cord, and um, it was hanging on by basically the width of a hair. Uh, after five hours of surgery, they basically um, took, uh, installed two titanium rods on either side of my spine, 
from uh, my T9 vertebrae to L1, uh, removed fragments of my basically exploded T11 vertebrae, and then wired the rest of it back together. Yeah, as at that point, I, I found out that I had a complete injury, which means um, there's no sensory or motor function below uh, the injury level. Yeah, so it was uh, very cold in Hamilton at that time where temperatures were consistently uh, below minus 40 degrees. It was so cold that some of the pipes froze in the hospital and some of the areas of the hospital flooded, including the ICU where I was. Basically, everyone got moved to different areas of the hospital. I happened to be moved to kind of the minor injury rehab, which <laughs> I had tubes and wires coming out of basically every orifice and I'm amongst people who are working on rehab for a broken wrist or a stubbed toe. So I was fine with that, but I think because of that fact, uh, I got overlooked a little bit with the, with the nurses. And uh, it was at that point where I really got my first taste of pressure sores. Uh, pressure sores or bed sores, I thought were for the elderly or for people who are bedridden for months at a time. Doctors had told me that, you know, I have to rotate from one side to my back to the, to the other side every about 30 minutes. And uh, since I was fresh out of surgery and uh, I'd also broken several ribs, it was almost impossible for me to do that. So I relied on the nurses pretty much 100%. So when they came back in, you know, to check uh, a couple days later, I'd already developed two really big pressure sores on each one of my heels that were, that were really deep. And uh, it was kind of at that point where myself and my parents realized how little we knew about spinal cord injury or any of that stuff because um, you know, that just wouldn't have happened before. Yeah, so I was at uh, Hamilton uh, Hospital for exactly a week before I got life flighted back to Vancouver General. Eager to get back to BC, um, to be closer to Kelowna and be closer to friends and family. But I also knew that uh, it was gonna be tough, tough for me uh, as loved ones, um, friends, family would be visiting me. It was a hard thought for them to see me um, in the condition I was in. I knew it was going to be important for me to continue to be the Bruce that they knew, where smiles and laughs were so important. There was a lot of negatives surrounding the accident, but I just kind of thought there was no need to talk about it, and everyone was on board to move forward. I always loved a good challenge, and that's the way that I was looking at it as my next biggest challenge. Challenges before were things like world records and practicing for world's firsts, and now there were things like brushing my own teeth and putting my own socks on. At that point, the uh, never say can't attitude that I'd learned uh, you know, growing up with my, my dad and grandpa played a huge role in, in recovery. Smile for BC came around. Smile for BC uh, is, means smile for Bruce Cook. And it, it's kind of cool these days uh, with technology and things like a hashtag where I created that um, pretty early on in the hospital and it was a way to basically um, anyone in the world could click on this and uh, what I asked was for people to do something that they loved, something they had fun doing, whether it was playing football, riding a dirt bike, knitting, bowling, whatever it is, post a picture for that, of that and them smiling and enjoying themselves and it was basically a way for me to live vicariously through them while I was in the hospital as it was for a couple months. I got tons of uh, messages over that first, over the first couple weeks, uh, literally thousands from all over the world uh, about you know messages of just staying strong and that basically motivated me to to continue on and, and just uh, really helped my positive attitude and I think my, my uh, friends and family also just seeing how my story was affecting other people getting messages how it was helping them basically get through maybe smaller issues really helped motivate me with my um, recovery. 
After a couple weeks in, um, uh, at VGH, I was ready to go to a place called GF Strong, which is a spinal cord specific recovery center. It's a hospital uh, in Vancouver. And I was excited to go there because they had kind of the specialized knowledge and uh, equipment. I, uh, I was excited to go basically the second I got there and I blew past a lot of kind of checkpoints as they had probably two weeks set out to learn how to do a wheelie in a wheelchair. And uh, I basically explained to them that, you know, doing a wheelie on two wheels is basically cheating as I'd grown up um, doing a wheelie on one wheel with my dirt bike my whole life. So there was a, yeah, I blew past a lot of checkpoints. Um, they, they had, you know, three or four weeks that I, I kind of went past in the first few days. I had to explain to the nurses that, you know, I was, I was okay with, with hitting the ground uh, if it meant trying something or progressing because falling two feet out of my wheelchair was kind of nothing compared to falling 30 feet out of the sky and hitting the ground, which I had several times before. So I'd kind of maxed out the system at, uh, at GF Strong and, and while I was there, my sisters were busy trying to find kind of what the next step was gonna be. That was uh, Project Walk. It was one of the only places that offered uh, this muscle stimulator machine where you basically hook up muscle stimulators on your legs and they fire at exact times that uh, you actually support your own weight and your legs are actually doing the walking to at least 50%. Project Walk was awesome. Um, they, they shared the same attitude, like the same can-do attitude and um, they were just really positive and, and a really good fit for me. One good example is uh, when I first got to GF Strong, they asked me what my ultimate goal was, and obviously I told them to walk again. And they kind of laughed at that and said, yeah, that's what everyone says, and basically asked me to name kind of a smaller goal. Well, at Project Walk, I said the exact same thing. They said, basically, perfect, thought so. Put down the clipboard, and you know, the first day we were um, standing up with their kind of specialized straps and blocks, and they were doing whatever it took to, um, to get me upright because they knew that uh, it was good for physically good but also good for your mind to just be up and and work towards accomplishing that goal they were really good with my specific goals and didn't think i was crazy and want to kick me out when i told them that i wanted to get back on my dirt bike and ultimately wanted to backflip my dirt bike we uh so we did a lot of work on what was left um, i have very little core muscles as i've got about half of my two upper abs left, and then obviously my, obviously my arms, so we really worked on those two things. I'd basically gone as far as I could with, uh, with Project Walk, and uh, knew that after that, I'd basically have to take as much as I could from there, because afterwards I'd be going home without their specialized equipment and, uh, and training. It was three months after when I went back home and uh, was at my parents' place with my, my good friend Tom, and asked him if he could pull my dirt bike out. I just, just wanted to see it, just wanted to maybe sit on it. And uh, he said, I don't think that's a good idea, your dad's around. And uh, <laughs> my dad did his classic kind of laugh and shake his head and said, no, no way, like, how are you even gonna get on this thing? And it was basically in the same breath when he was still shaking his head and uh, saying no, that he was lifting, helping lift me onto the bike. It was basically as bad as I thought it was gonna be. My balance was terrible, obviously I can't feel the seat, um, no core muscles, but uh, at the same point, it kind of, it was a way to, you know, kind of start thinking about how I was going to modify this thing and, uh, and what changes needed to be made. And as they pushed me around their uh, parking lot, basically, I, I kind of knew that, okay, this is going to be possible. So while I was doing that, 
my good friend Billy also happened to be a fabricator by trade. So he was uh, busy researching on Google what very limited uh, information was out there for modifying a dirt bike so that a paralyzed person could ride it again. With the limited pictures we had um, and, and his skills, we kind of came up with the idea, this. <laughs> it's a cage uh, basically around my legs uh, at the front that protects them in case I uh, tip over and also a small cage on the seat that helps with balance and protecting my hips. And the scariest part to me, which is a seat belt. Obviously, motorcycles usually don't have a seat belt because in a crash, you wanna get away from them, especially when you're upside down and it's chasing you down. So with the seat belt now, I'm attached to it, basically whatever happens. Nine months to the day um, after my accident, the bike was good to go. I was definitely good to go. Uh, we headed out just outside of London, Ontario, uh, to a buddy's farm where I was gonna try and ride for the first time. Getting geared up and my friends were helping me lift me onto the bike, but at that point I really had no idea how it was gonna go. For all I knew, I could push away from the truck and uh, you know just fall over in two feet, or I could rip away doing wheelies. I had no idea, so I was definitely eager to find out. And we also picked a nice grassy area. <laughs> so my first ride back, basically went as good as it could have gone. Uh, I ripped away, ripped around for a few minutes, and uh, <laughs> yeah, that was an exciting moment. I did not send this to my mom right away. <laughs> so with that, we loaded up. Um, so I don't. <laughs> uh, but basically I have, uh, I meant to mention that, uh, it's a clutch that, um, it's called a recluse clutch and uh, basically it makes it so that I can't stall. Uh, I can't change gears but I can put it in any gear, start and stop without stalling. Uh, and also, that's a good point, the brake on a motorcycle is operated by your right foot so they offer, also offer a system that puts it up on your hand that you can have rear brake. So no changing gears but um, I can stop at least, a bonus. Anyways, with that, we were uh, loading up the bikes and heading back down to Travis Pastrana's place with uh, my friend Billy. Um, it's at that point when he was like, you know what, we're going down to Travis's. He's got some good tracks that you can kind of play around on. He's like, I just don't want you thinking that just because we're driving down here that you have to uh, have it in your head that you have to backflip or, or do anything more than just kind of ride around. But I was going down there for one reason and that was to backflip. So my first time, we ripped around for a couple days, got comfortable with the bike. About two or three days later, I was back into the foam pit. A backflip, not a modified backflip, what it used to be was, uh, it was so important to use your legs. Basically, you go off the ramp, you push with the le your legs as much as you pull with your arms, so it's really important. And again, I had no idea how this was gonna go as there was no video to watch anyone doing it. So uh, first day into the pit, I was suited up. I rotated my first backflip basically perfectly. That moment was a huge weight off my shoulders as it's literally all I was thinking about every single day and every time I went to sleep at night. So from there, I uh, realized that it was at least gonna be possible that I could get the rotation and honestly, if there would've been dirt there, I would've ridden that one out. With being attached to the motorcycle, you want your success ratio to be a little higher <laughs> as the, uh, um, yeah, the, 
the risk is, is a little bit worse and there's a, a, a lot smaller margin for error. So I spent a little bit more time into the pit this time than I did my original flip. And then came the time basically when, uh, when I was done in the foam pit and, and NetSup was taking it to dirt, which we had a big pile of mulch, which is at least a little bit softer to dirt. So with that, I did a couple more um, flips into the foam pit, then moved the ramp over to the mulch pile. I throttled, pulled at the completely wrong time, and rotated slowly, did my worst flip that I'd done into the foam pit to that point, but eventually came around. It felt like it was this slow, I'm gonna tell you. <laughs> Landed the first uh, paraplegic backflip on a motorcycle. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So with that, I returned home, um, obviously really excited. Uh, I'd accomplished that goal. That was mainly what I was set out to do. Uh, we were filming a movie at that point. It kind of worked out perfectly to go into, into a Nitro Circus movie. But in the back of my head, I still knew that I wanted to get back in front of a crowd. That took a lot of convincing, firstly, to the to CEO and you know, kind of convincing the other athletes and, and friends that it was a good idea. One of the biggest hurdles was gonna be bringing up with my family, uh, my parents especially, that I was gonna be doing another show and doing this backflip live in front of a crowd. So I didn't. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I basically just uh, uh, practiced some more. October 23rd, 2015 is when uh, we picked, because the, the show was gonna be in Toronto, which is an hour down the road from Hamilton where the accident had happened. I was, I was definitely eager for that one. That's, that's kind of my last thing that I wanted to check off my list. Yeah, it was a big day. There was a ton of nerves. Um, we didn't actually announce to the crowd that I was gonna be there um, because that kind of gave me an, uh, an out and uh, I wasn't, didn't have the pressure of then performing so I could kind of pull the pin at any moment. Woke up that morning, I was feeling good, um, knew that I wanted to do it that day. The, the crowd, was insane. Uh, when I got introduced, it was uh, extremely emotional. It actually it turns out that half the people that were there in Toronto uh, were there that night in Hamilton. So they didn't know I was gonna be there and uh, they definitely didn't know I was gonna ride again. Then I'm sitting there getting introduced on top of the ramp and it's kind of, you know, I was here uh, a couple years earlier, you know, is it, is it too late to pull the pin? Should I be doing this? All that stuff runs through your head. But at the same point, you know, I was extremely confident, more so than I'd been, and uh, I was ready to do it that day. I took a couple run-ups to get my speed right, get the, the right marks for, for hitting the throttle and, and where to pull, and then, uh, you know, came that last turn. I knew that that last turn, a couple years uh, earlier, five seconds after that point, my life changed forever for the worse, and uh, I kind of knew that, that five seconds later my life was, was gonna change, but for a whole lot better. I throttled the ramp, Hit the gas at the right point, hit my mark to pull. Pulled as hard as I could, and that one was a lot better than my one to mulch. Landed perfectly. That was an extremely overwhelming moment. I'd done what I'd set out to do and had the support of thousands of people in the crowd. After the, the buzz kind of wore off, I had the second task of calling my parents, which <laughs> it, uh, it happened to be my dad's birthday that day. So I called him and said, hey dad, happy birthday. For your, uh, for your birthday, I, I landed a backflip in a uh, live Nitro Circus show. His response was, you little bugger, I knew you were up to something. 
and uh, I think he meant good job. <laughs> so from there, I, uh, I just planned on doing the one, the one show. It was always in my head to, to land the backflip and then to get it you know, in a live show back in front of a, a live audience. But the response from that, from literally all over the world, the messages that poured in were so overwhelming. It, it struck me that, you know, if I can take this kind of and continue with it, uh, basically, you know, do shows all around the world, that uh, I could share the message of, of never say can't and hopefully inspire some people to get through some stuff uh, on their own. So after that, I, uh, I continued to travel around the world performing these backflips. I think I've done about 150 to date. Thank you. <laughs> well. So since the accident, everything has changed and it's obviously a lot more difficult. Um, everything's more difficult. Running errands, uh, you know, you have to in and out of the car. If you've got five stops, you've got to break down the chair uh, and put it back together 10 times. Uh, trying to navigate, especially in the winter with the snow and the windrows is brutal. But uh, a large part of, of kind of what has helped me through this whole thing has been gratitude. There was one specific day, I remember, that I was having a really bad day. There was, there was a lot of ice, there was snow. I'd already fallen out of my chair uh, once that day and hit the ground. You know, just, it was in a bad mood and, and then it, it kind of snowballs and, uh, no pun intended, I was trying to get up this ramp that was no more than eight feet long, gentle grade, and it had about an inch of snow on it. I was trying to get up there, my hands were freezing, and I ended up sliding off the end of the ramp, flat on my back into this puddle and slush, and uh, obviously extremely frustrated, you know, on the brink of, uh, of tears, and just kind of sitting there, and then it kind of hit me that uh, being in hospital and seeing all those other people in that moment, someone that was a quadriplegic, say, would literally give anything to be in my situation right then. Um, I thought it was so bad for what was happening that day, paralyzed, I couldn't get up this stupid little ramp that anyone else could just walk up. Uh, I was laying in this puddle, freezing, and then I was thinking to myself, you know, a, a quadriplegic would, first of all, give anything to be able to get around in a, in a manual chair. They'd give anything to, to feel their hands freezing cold, and uh, someone with an illness would, would give anything just to leave the bed, and sometimes, you know, they're not even gonna get the chance to leave their bed again. So that definitely made a, a big switch in my head right then and there um, with gratitude, and that's probably one of the biggest things for me is just, uh, you know, thinking that it could always be worse, and, and also um, basically living life with a can-do attitude to never say can't, but instead ask yourself, how can I? To anyone struggling, that there is always life after injury. And this has been my journey yes. since my accident. Thank you. Thank you very much. Definitely like when people stand when I can't, so I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, everybody, thank you very much for listening to this episode of WP Radio. There'll be more content coming shortly, and thanks again for your time. Don't forget to go to WP Digital and check out our page on YouTube and check all the content we put on for you so far this year. We really appreciate it.